Well, welcome again, everybody, to Cuyahoga Valley Church. Merry Christmas to you. It's good to hear from you. Hey, uh, we've got a great problem. We're out of seats, and there's people standing everywhere. So uh, thank you for all of you in the venue next door, the family venue. So here's what we're going to do. If you've got empty seats next to you, can you just, like, stick up your hand and hold up how many seats are next to you? And if you're up against the walls, look for, like, you know, there's one there, one there, one there, two there. Uh, look for maybe what will fit you guys in, balconies, everywhere else. Uh, those of you online, you'll not, you're no help to us. You can hold up your fingers all you want. Um, we can't come to your couch. So anyways, uh, yeah, you can find a seat. That would be great. Well, for those of you who are guests, you're watching online, you've never been here before. Uh, my name is Chad, one of the pastors on staff. You got a question? Oh, we just opened up seats underneath. Okay, so we just uh, utilized our other venue downstairs. So if you're against the back wall, out in the lobby, parking lot, on the floor, wherever, um, you can go downstairs, just go out the doors and to the left and down. Um, and the information I just gave you, if you're online, helps you, not at all, one bit. So um, the downstairs venue is now open as well. Again, if you're a guest, my name's Chad, pastor here at CVC. Uh, great to see you guys. And I get the joy of just opening up this time in God's word with you and teaching as we celebrate Christmas together. And as I was uh, prepping for this time, I just saw a story that just was so funny to me and it was, it was meaningful. And it was, a, it was a, a son who was singing Christmas carols with his parents. And during that time, at one point, the son looks to the dad and says, hey, dad, what does it mean to ignore? Of course, the father says it means not to pay attention to somebody. And the boy thought for a second. And then he goes, hey, dad, I, I don't think it's a good idea to ignore Jesus. And the dad goes, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's a good thing to ignore Jesus e either. And then the son said, then why do we sing, oh, come, let us ignore him? <laughs> and, and we laugh about that, but, but here's the twisted sickness in that humor is that during this time of year, we might sing, oh, come, let us adore him. But a lot of us are practicing, oh, come, let us ignore him. And so when you think about Christmas and even beyond Christmas, if you were to like look at a continuum like this, if, if one extreme is ignoring Christ and one, uh, the other side is adoring Christ, worshiping Christ, where would you put yourself? If you had to put a dot on that bar that best categorizes your life, are you closer to adoring Christ or ignoring Christ? Where would you put yourself? Now, for me growing up, I would be all the way over on ignoring Christ. I mean, we were, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. We didn't go to church, didn't have Bibles. Um, Christmas was a great time. I have great Christmas memories, uh, traveling to see family, having family over, lots and lots of food, you know, lots and lots of gifts. All that was great. But here's the thing. Ultimately, we were ignoring Christ. And I still remember many, many times and many, many years in a row where after the carnage of all the wrapping around you and all the gifts have been opened and played with or put on or already broken even, um, the food's been eaten, you can't put another bite in your stomach, just sitting there, and there were times where I'm going, there's this little nagging feeling creeping up that there's got to be something more. Like I'm still missing something. And I didn't know it at the time, but what I was missing was adoring Christ and the joy that comes with worshiping Jesus. And sometime in the next 24 hours to 48 hours, you're going to be sitting amongst a pile of carnage, right? Wrapping paper everywhere, pie crumbs, toys touched, everything's going to be played with or worn or broken or whatever already. And some of you are going to have this nagging feeling like, is that really all there is? Like, is that, that's it? Are we done? Is there anything more? And even go beyond Christmas. 
Like, like you get into that school that you wanted to get into. You got the job that you chased after. You got the boy you chased after. You got the girl you chased after. You had that baby. You bought your dream home. You got your dream car. Whatever you were going after, you get it. It's fun. It's exciting for a while. And then at some point, that little nagging feeling creeps up and you start to wonder, is there something else that I'm missing? Is there something more? Yes. It's the adoration. It's the worship of Jesus and the joy that comes with worshiping Jesus because God made us. Like God designed you and God designed me to live a life, not just live a holiday, but live a life of adoring Christ, not ignoring Christ. And what I want to do is I want to look at the Bible with you guys for a little bit here. Uh, and I want to invite you to Matthew chapter 2. When you read the Bible, the Christmas narratives are found in Luke and Matthew. And I want to look at part of the Christmas narrative in Matthew chapter 2. So open up your Bibles or fire up your Bible app and find yourself in Matthew 2. And if you're here on site and you don't own a Bible like anywhere, uh, we'd love to give you one for free as a gift. So on your way out, stop, get a Bible. Merry Christmas. We'd love to give it to you for free. And uh, for the rest of us, we're going to fire up our Bible apps, look at our Bibles, and what we're going to do is we're going to see how three people or groups of people were made aware of the birth of Christ, which presented an opportunity to adore Him. But we're going to see not everyone made the most of that opportunity. So find yourself in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 with me, and let's kick this thing off. Matthew 2, 1, now. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was extremely intrigued and fascinated by the news, and he googled where this was supposed to happen, and he found out it was to be in Bethlehem. So he gathered a scouting party, went to Bethlehem, found Jesus and Mary and Joseph. He was filled with awe. He worshiped Christ, and then he pinned the famous Christmas carol, O Come All You Faithful. That's not what that reads, right? That, that's not how that went down. No, if, if you actually look at the real verse 3, it says, when, king Herod, when Herod the king heard this, he was what? Troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it's written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and, and you can probably put quotation marks here, worship him, right? Herod heard about Christ. Herod heard about the opportunity to come and adore Christ and experience the joy that would come with worshiping Jesus. But he didn't adore Jesus. But he also didn't ignore Jesus. In fact, he went on the offensive. He, he went on a mission, if you keep reading through Matthew 2 there, uh, to kill Jesus. Now, why was that? Because Jesus was a threat to him. Jesus was a threat to Herod. What kind of person is threatened by a baby? In this case, it's a prideful person. A prideful person. You got to know a little bit about Herod to understand what we're talking about here. Herod ruled from, in Judea from 40 BC to 4 BC. And he was an interesting mix. He was a loosely practicing Jew 
who happened to have Roman citizenship and was of Arab descent. His lineage is linked back to Esau for all of you Bible students. He was also known as Herod the Great because he was a great master builder designer. And so you can still go to Israel today and you can see the ruins of his fortresses and his aqueducts and his theaters and the Caesarean seaport and the Jewish temple. But because of his pride-fueled fear and control issues, Herod was a vicious and paranoid tyrant, and he held on to his rule tightly. And so anyone who was even perceived as a threat was eliminated, including one of his wives, three of his kids, a mother-in-law. Some of you guys don't be thinking anything, all right? I mean, this guy was ruthless. He was a bad dude. And so the news of Jesus was a threat to him. It was a threat to his rule and his reign over his kingdom. Now, for some people, when they think about Jesus, hear about Jesus, Jesus is actually a threat. And you might not think about it that way. Now, none of you are Herod. None of you have any interest in killing Jesus, I think. But some of you might be threatened by Jesus. And it might be easy to sit here and be thinking, I, I don't think I'm threatened by Jesus. What are you talking about? Jesus is no threat to me whatsoever. Well, let's just uh, digest this by asking a few questions. Would you consider yourself a very self-sufficient person? Are you self-made? Do you get your worth from what you do or what you have or what you've accomplished? Do you like to be in control of your life, of your kingdom? How do you like the idea of someone else ruling over you or telling you how you should spend your money, spend your time, spend your abilities? If all of that seems very displeasing to you, Jesus might be more of a threat to you than you even realized. Because we may not express it this way, but ultimately we see ourselves as rulers over our own kingdoms. This is my life. This is my money, my house, my stuff. This is mine. And if I believe in Jesus, like if I actually surrender myself, yield and and lower my defenses and lower my pride and really take an honest, close look at Jesus, what I'm going to find is this miraculous baby that was born, lived a sinless life, was God's sacrifice. God provided sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And so he died on that cross for our sins. Our sins put on him on the cross. He was put in the grave, but didn't stay there. Three days later, victoriously rose from the grave, conquering death, conquering sin, ascended to heaven after 40 days of hanging out and proving that he was alive, to which we have written record, and then promised he's going to come back. If I honestly believe that, then Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord, and I must yield myself underneath him. And some of us, that same pride that crept into Herod's heart, that prevented him from wanting to worship Jesus, believe in Jesus, is the same pride that creeps into our hearts. And it breeds fear, and it breeds doubt, and then says, no, I'm gonna, I want to control my life. I want to control my own destiny. And we don't realize we're already under God's reign. We just need to acknowledge it and live by it. And so maybe Jesus is a threat to you and you never really realized that before. And when you look at Herod, Herod had no joy in his life. Herod was a tormented soul. I mean, he was so prideful. I mean, you can just imagine there probably had to be moments for Herod where he sat back on his throne, looking at all that he built, all that he made, looking at all his custom chariots, looking at his fine clothes, all that he had and accomplished and probably had a nagging feeling at some point in time that there was still something missing. And what was it? It was the adoration of Christ. It was the joy that would come from worshiping Jesus And maybe for you, that's exactly what the case is. You've got to get rid of that pride that's keeping you and creating those arguments from letting Jesus into your life. And the sad thing is, is that the love 
and the grace and the hope and the peace and the security and the joy that Jesus Christ offers you will surpass anything you could ever develop on your own. But we say no to it because we see Jesus as a threat. And if anything I'm saying is connecting with you right now, here's my advice to you. Just lower your force field. Lower your defenses and actually have an honest look. Do honest study, honest research about who Christ is and study the Bible. Come to church, man, for several weeks in a row and just just listen to more about us uh, preaching the Bible and what's in there. Talk to your Christian friends, your Christian neighbors, and just say, tell me what you believe and tell me why you believe it. And just listen with an honest ear. If you want to do some reading, obviously the Bible's a great book. Uh, Start in the book of John to really understand a lot of who Christ is. If you want a a good companion read to interact with your skepticism right now, a great book would be Reason for God by Tim Keller. Just a great book to say, I'm just going to pick that up. I'm going to read that. I'm going to have an honest interaction with information that maybe in my feeling of being threatened, I've kept it at arm's length. You don't have to be threatened by Jesus. You can adore him and you can experience the joy that comes with worshiping Christ. Now, Herod wasn't the only person given the opportunity to adore Christ in what we just read. Look again at verses 4 through 6 in Matthew 2. Herod had gathered these religious elite of the Judea um, Jewish leaders together. These were the chief priests and the scribes. These were the top shelf theologians of the Jewish faith. These were experts in the Old Testament scriptures and Jewish laws. These were uber-religious people, right? And what happened is, if you, if you understand what just took place here, he gathers them together and says, where's this king of the Jews going to be born? What he's asking is, this Messiah, this anointed one, this savior that's supposed to come, this king that's supposed to come, where's he going to be born? They didn't have to Google it. They didn't have to go back and look for it. They knew. And they, they said, oh, Bethlehem, right off the bat. Look at verse 5. Bethlehem in Judea, because it's written. They knew where it was because God had it captured on documentation so that they could access it. And so they accessed an Old Testament prophet, uh, Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, who wrote, they quoted it here, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And you would think at this moment that here's these guys, that here's Israel, they're waiting for this promise. And all of a sudden, you've got outsiders coming in, causing a ruckus in Jerusalem. You've got the king summonings you and asking you where this king that's been anticipated for centuries is going to be born. They've got the answer. It's right under their nose. And what do they do with it? Nothing. Nothing. They were absolutely disinterested. Like, these should have been the guys that were in the front of the line going, uh, Bethlehem, why do you ask? Oh, really? Hey, guys, we've got to go to Bethlehem. Check this out, you know? Did they do that? Not at all. They were so stuck in their preconceptions. They were so stuck in their religion and their rules and all their traditions that this wasn't even going to flash up on their radar. They were absolutely indifferent. They were indifferent when it came to Jesus. Now, you think this question would have shaken them awake that it would have provoked curiosity or lead them to investigate and explore. But what we see is that they had all the information they needed in their head, it just never moved down to their heart. There was a disconnect between their heart and their head. What happens is we look around this day and age and we see people in the same condition, some of you in the same condition, when it comes to Jesus, absolutely indifferent. Like, oh yeah, Jesus. I've been having a great conversation with a family member, just back and forth, back and forth. And actually, he told me, he said, oh, Jesus rocks. I like Jesus. 
I'm going, okay, well, you're not a follower of Christ, so how do I digest this? See, he doesn't believe or worship or adore the Christ of the Bible. He just likes the one that he's made up and shaped and reformed and then put on his bookshelf with all his other views. And so really, he's still indifferent to Jesus. And so when you look at this, a lot of us are doing the same thing. I was wondering if an OCD person was going to fix that for me. That's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that because that was bugging me too. They just didn't do anything with it. And so we still see people today, you might have all the right information in your head. Look, you could have gone to church all your life. You can know the Bible. You can sing the songs. You can quote the verses. You can have all the information here. But if it doesn't play out in your life, if you've got all the information with no transformation, guess what? Indifference. There's been no saturation of who Jesus is and what he does and, and what comes out. And I don't know what's keeping your arm late. I don't know, what it, I don't know who hurt you. I don't know what doubts you've been like wrestling with. I don't know what arguments you have. But at some point, you just put Jesus on the shelf with all the other stuff and you've just moved on and you've become indifferent to Jesus. And if you're here today and that's you, my encouragement to you is let today be a wake-up call. Like these guys had an opportunity, a golden opportunity, and they just let it go right by. Don't be like that. Don't sit here and listen to some things that might be interesting or intriguing or make you think, you know, maybe I should actually read the Bible. Maybe I should really dig into that. Maybe I should study. Maybe I should have that conversation. Maybe I should send that email. Just dig. Don't be that person that just lets it go by. Don't be indifferent. Because don't, you don't want to miss. Don't be indifferent when Christ makes all the difference. The reason that you're not experiencing this joy that you keep hearing about is because you're not adoring Christ. And if you're not going to worship Christ, you're not going to get the joy that comes from Christ. And difference will never give you joy. And all the arguments and all the reasons that you have stockpiled to keep Jesus away isn't going to ever give you the joy that you need in Christ. You've got to come to adore the Savior. My next step for you would be just ask God. Like go to, you don't need a middle person. Just ask God, God, would you connect my head and my heart? Would you take the information in my head and sift it and get rid of the stuff that's inaccurate? Send me to the stuff that's accurate. Let my heart and my head connect and make, make this relationship with Jesus come alive. Today can be the day that you realize Jesus is Savior, not just a historical figure. Today's the day you can realize that the Bible is a living, breathing love letter and life manual, not a dusty, irrelevant book. You have an opportunity to trade in your indifferent status quo autopilot life with a life that's infused with salvation where Jesus moves you from just surviving to thriving and from empty and longing to purpose-filled and vitalized. So many of you look at religion and you look at the Bible and you look at God. It's the same thing as sitting on your couch, just being bored and flipping the channels, looking for something that's going to, if that's what you're feeling, There's no personal investment, no joy, no desire, no delight. Get past that indifference and come to Christ. And take those next steps by talking to someone who can get you on that right path. And so, so far we've seen Herod. Herod was threatened by Jesus. The religious leaders are indifferent to Jesus. We haven't yet seen an example of adoring Christ, of worshiping him. So let's look at what happens next in the Christmas narrative, right? Herod sends these wise men off to Bethlehem to see if what he has heard is true. Look at verse 9 in Matthew 2. After listening to the king, they went on their way. This is the wise men. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great what? Joy. There's joy when you find Christ. And going into the house, not the barn, not the stable, not the cave, the house, 
They saw the child, not the baby, not the infant, the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and what? Worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Finally, worship, adoring Christ, the wise men deliver for us, right? And it's not a surprise because when you go back to verse 2, they showed up to Jerusalem saying, we're here looking for the one who was born king of the Jews so that we may worship him. This was their mission. Now, what don't we know about these guys? Because there's a lot of myths, right? Here's just a few things we don't know. We don't know who they were. We don't know where they were from. Uh, the, the biggest you know, areas that we think, they might have been from Persia or Babylon, most likely, uh, one of those two areas. And we don't know how many there were. The Bible says they brought three gifts. It doesn't say there were three people. So we don't know those details. But what we do know is this. These were wise men known also as magi. And they were a powerful group of men dedicated to learning astrology and astronomy and science and philosophy and religion. They were extremely educated and influential. They would probably be the equivalent of a person having multiple doctorates in multiple areas of study. They had a club. And even though the song says, we three kings of Orient are, they weren't kings, but they were king makers. Because the ancient kings of the east would summon the wise men, the magi, for counsel. And they would depend on their knowledge and their intellect and their interpretation of everything to help rule their country. So they weren't kings, but they were king makers. They were very powerful people. And we believe that they knew about the birth of Christ. Like, well, how did they even know what was going on? Well, obviously God was revealing it, but he used the Hebrew influence. If you study history, you know that the Hebrews were taken captive to ancient Babylon, you know, in the captivity. And during that time, Daniel and some of his friends were highly influential. And so you have this cast of wise men that also now have the Old Testament scriptures uh, accessible to them and the knowledge of God accessible to him, brought to them by people who were having major uh, breakthroughs with interpreting dreams and supernatural signs. And so they believed in all that came out of Israel. And so now you've got these guys who, as they study the stars, this is in their repertoire of how to interpret what's going on. And then they see this, this sign. And we don't know if God provided a, a supernatural phenomenon. We don't know if God just says, watch this. I'm gonna, I've got this plan from the beginning of the world. I'm going to use the cosmos and, and the universe to, to do something unique with the stars and the planets. We don't know how that all went down, but they saw this and it triggered some of the things they heard and read in these scriptures. And we believe one of the things that came to their minds was Numbers 24, 17, which is a prophecy, an Old Testament prophecy, which says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And they're looking at all this information, and it's like, guys, it's time to pack up and go to Jerusalem. And they did. And when they went through all this interaction with Herod, they went through all this interaction with finding out where to find the Christ, all of a sudden we see this moment. These powerful men. Herod was powerful, but he let his pride prevent him from worship. These guys were powerful. They weren't that prideful. They came to worship. We see that the religious people were so stuck in their head that their heart didn't move. And so they didn't come to worship Christ. These were religious guys. They were experts in pagan religion, but they didn't let that get in the way. They came to worship Christ, and they converted to the belief of this Savior. And it says here that they came and they worshiped. And in the Greek language, in the scriptures, the original language, that's the word proskuneo, which means reverence. It means adore. It means to fall down before. So an ancient Easter custom, that meant literally forehead to ground. These guys came and worshiped the child. 
And what we see here is that they opened their hearts to Jesus. They opened their hearts to Jesus. The reason some of you are not adoring Christ, you're not experiencing the joy that comes with worshiping Christ, is you haven't opened your heart to Christ yet. And I don't know who hurt you. I don't know what's kept your heart closed, but you're never going to have that joy until you open your heart. And I love the example of the Magi because they believed before they ever got on their camels. They believed before they took their journey. They were still in a place of belief when they showed up to Jerusalem. They believed all the way to the moment where their belief became reality. Some of you are like, well, I wish I could just touch and see and feel Jesus. Me too. But I've studied and I've learned and God's spoken and he's real. And so you just have to be in this place of belief. You have to open your heart to this place of belief until one day, whether Jesus comes back or whether you leave this planet, whichever happens first, your belief will become reality. And so you have to open your heart to Christ. Now, some of you have opened your heart to Christ. You're followers of Christ, but you haven't opened your treasures. Do you see what happens here? Look at verse 11. It says that the Magi opened their gifts and their treasures. Do you see that? They fell down, they worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. And we look at these gifts. These gifts were very significant. There was gold, which was a gift for a king. There was frankincense, which was a gift for a priest to use as an offering to God. And there was myrrh, which was a spice used to bury, which we know is another prophetic way. God just keeps dropping those hints. He's going to die one day. This baby was born to die. And these gifts have significance, but because they open their heart, they open their gifts. A lot of you here would call yourself a Christian, but you're going, why have I still not experienced the joy? Well, maybe you've opened your heart, but you haven't opened your gifts. Opening our gifts and our treasures is a reflex. It's a joyful reflex to worshiping Christ. And so what do you treasure? Is it your time? Is your time so precious to you? Is it your talents and abilities? Is it your possessions, your money, your leadership? Whatever it is, you've got these talents, these treasures, and an outcome of coming to Christ is that we then open our treasures and give them to the Lord. That's part of the joy of worshiping Christ. And the Magi are a great example of that. Now, before leaving the Magi, I want to make one little observation. Look at verse 12. It's one of those verses you just kind of quickly read as the passage may be getting concluded. But I think there's something kind of neat in here. In verse 12, it says, I'm being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed to their own country by another way. What that text means is that God showed up in a dream and said, don't go back that way because Herod will interact with you and that's not good. Go a different way to avoid Herod. That's what it means. But I personally also love the symbolism here that after they met Jesus, they didn't go back the old way, they went a new way. And there's something about when you come to meet Jesus, Jesus gives you power over the old life, power over the old habits, and you have new life in Christ, and you get put on a new path, a new direction. The old is gone, the new has come. I believe I'm talking to a group of people who don't want to have the old hanging over them. Christ can free you from that. And I love the symbolism of that. New life, new path in Christ. You know, there's a man in our church family, his name's Tony. We've been talking a lot over this last year. And I want to share a little bit of you, uh, with you about his story because he's been put on a new path with Jesus. And he went from ignoring Christ to adoring Christ. Now, Tony was like Herod, king of his realm, the kingdom that he built, he protected it was a kingdom of self-centeredness and self-sufficiency. And Tony's life seemed good. He had good things, family, a good career, good paycheck, fun social life, even a little church sprinkled in every now and then. Tony felt good, but there was always this nagging feeling 
that there was still something more he was missing. Now, eventually, what he did is he turned to more hours at work, and he turned to a little bit of drinking to fill that void. And eventually, that broke his family, and he found himself alone. Well, what he did is he tried to escape through more working and more drinking. But as his hours and drinks increased, so did his isolation. So did his bitterness. So did his immorality. And so God eventually used a friend that invited him here to CVC. But as he heard about God's love, as he heard about God's word, as he heard about God's plan, it was a threat to his kingdom. And so in his pride, he didn't really receive it. And although he was coming to church, it felt safer to ignore Christ. Tony says it this way. He says, I was filtering my beliefs through my lens of self-centeredness and addiction, doing things my way instead of through the teachings of God's word. But God pursued me, and with his love and grace, one day, broken and ashamed, I came alone to Jesus and called out for help. And Jesus cradled me in his loving arms one night while I was in recovery and asked me, are you done? (laughs) And I said, yes, and my life changed immediately. I began a journey not only in sobriety, but in faith through the saving power of Jesus Christ. I came to believe that through him, all things are possible, and it's it's thy will be done, not my will be done. As I grew in my relationship and worship of Christ, I started experiencing true joy far beyond any happiness I had ever experienced before. And by God's grace, I am now eight months sober and experiencing the joy of surrendering my life to Christ. I look forward to being baptized soon, growing in my relationship with Jesus, and helping others discover the joy of new life in Christ. I came to believe that God was for me, and he did not give up on me, and he won't give up on you. You know, some of you have experienced, well, praise God for that. That's, that's God's work. That's the Lord. Some of you have experienced what Tony's experienced. Some of you have experienced what the wise men experienced. They're adoring Christ and the joy that comes from worshiping Jesus. But here's the thing. We're all going to respond to Jesus. When we hear about Jesus, whether this is the first time, the hundredth time, we all respond to Jesus. Some of you are responding by being threatened. You're threatened by Christ. He's messing with your kingdom. Well, if there's no belief, then there's going to be no worship, then there'll be no joy. Some of you, you're responding with indifference. Well, more of Jesus, that's good. We'll just see how it all plays out in the end. Trust me, you don't want to see how it all plays out in the end if you're going to have that attitude. You don't want to go that route. And so you need to have that belief that will give you the worship, that will give you the joy like the wise men. That's what God's calling us to. So in the next 48 hours, at some point in time, you're going to be surrounded by the carnage of wrapping paper, crumbs of food, the great company of family and friends, if that nagging feeling starts to creep up that something is still missing, really, it means someone is still missing. You haven't adored Christ. It's a Christless Christmas. It's a Christless life. And you're missing out on the joy, the joy that comes only through worshiping Jesus. So remember, God made us to live a life to adore Jesus, not ignore Jesus. Which one will you choose today? I want to to invite all of you to respond in a very tangible way. If you can open up your programs, reach for your program, find that. You'll find this card, this blank card. I just want to talk to some of you, whether you're online or whether you're here in this room or in the venue, and just say, if you have never given your life to Christ, this is an opportunity for you to take that step of faith. 
to believe in Christ, to confess your sin and believe in Christ and his death on the cross, his resurrection for your forgiveness of sins. And really, just like the Magi came and offered gifts, this card is just this little symbol of a gift that you bring today. And if you're coming to Christ, you can just write, my heart. <laughs> I open my heart to Christ. I come to worship him. And just like the Magi for the first time, or Tony for the first time, or whoever it is for the first time, write down, today's the day I'm giving my life to Christ for the first time. Please give us your name, a phone number, an email so we can follow up with you. Here's what we want to do with you. We want to come alongside you and help you grow in your new relationship. We want to resource you, encourage you, be available to you to help you grow in your new relationship. And so when you fill this out, when you walk outside these doors or from the venue outside these doors, there's a manger out there. Man, a cool guy in our church built that. Can you just go to that manger and go, I'm giving my life to Christ today. And placing that card inside that manger is your way of saying, I'm giving my life to Christ today. If you're online watching live, uh, you can email us at uh, connect at cvconline.org and tell us that you're giving your life to Christ. And for those of you who are believers, maybe what God's messing with you about is the treasure thing, that you open your treasure when you open your heart. Maybe some of you are going, okay, I've got one of my treasure boxes closed. Like, <laughs> it hasn't opened up ever. Or maybe you've done the little Tupperware thing where you just kind of peel back the lid a little bit, you know? What is it that's a treasure to you that you've never given to the Lord as an act of worship? Is it your time? Maybe you need to write down, as an act of worship, I offer my treasure of time to serve Christ. My leadership, my money, my possessions, my family, my relationships, whatever it is, whatever treasure you have that you need to offer to Christ, I encourage you to write that down. Same thing, on the way out, drop that in the manger. You can say, on Christmas Eve, 2017, I opened that treasure box and I said, Lord, take it, it's yours, I'm giving it to you because I adore you. I don't want to ignore you. So two ways that you can respond today. Uh, if you're not ready to respond, come back, hear more, ask questions. We'd love to tell you more about our Jesus. God made us to live, to adore Christ, not ignore Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. What a joyful opportunity to gather with strangers and friends and family, hear from your word, sing songs about our Jesus. God, this is just a great day. Lord, I know some people are hurting. God, would you comfort them with whatever that pain is right now? Father, we know that some people are full of joy. May they point to you as the source of joy. God, for all the boys and girls, may they be more excited about Jesus than just all the other stuff that's not about Jesus. God, may we truly uh, turn a corner, even in the hours to come, to be about adoring Christ, not ignoring Christ, and not just at Christmas, but for our life. And Father, for those who need to come to you as Savior, Give them the courage to take that step of faith today, to trust you, to believe in you, and to let us know so we can help them grow. And Father, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, God, uh, peel open those treasure boxes. Let them just willingly give to you back of that which you have given them and use it for your glory because we adore you. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all say it together. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for being here.